Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Good afternoon and welcome to eBible Fellowship Sunday Afternoon Bible Study. Today we're going to continue taking a look at the promised land of Canaan, and this will be study number two. We're going to begin by looking at Genesis chapter 15 and verse 13. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward shall they come out with great substance." And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And then also in verse 18, In the same day Jehovah made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. And And then it continues with further description. We uh, saw in our last study of the promised land of Canaan that uh, here God is making promise to the spiritual seed, not the earthly seed of Abraham, which would be the, the physical Jew, the Jew who is one naturally born after the flesh. No, the promise is to the, the the spiritual seed, the spiritual Jew. And we spent some time looking at how God considers his elect people to be the promised seed. First of all, it's, it's a reference to Christ himself because it's seed singular. But then we saw in Galatians 3.29 that all those in Christ are counted for the seed. So all the elect, Jew or Gentile, it could be a Jew also, or a Gentile, that are saved are this seed that God is speaking of when he makes promise to Abraham. Now, uh, in Genesis 17, God is giving additional information and, and additional promises there are Actually, many promises of God in the Bible. And we read in Genesis 17, beginning in verse 4. As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee, and I will make thee exceeding fruitful and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, in their generations, for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, the land wherein thou art a stranger." all the land of Canaan, for 
in everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant therefore, thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is my covenant, which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man-child among you shall be circumcised. He shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. Again and again, to you and your seed, your seed after you. This covenant is an everlasting covenant with you and your seed. This land will belong to you and your seed. And this is the sign of the covenant that you will be circumcised, you and your seed. And we spent some time also um, in our last study of the promised land of Canaan looking at circumcision and God's command in the book of Deuteronomy to the Jews to circumcise your heart. And, and of course, that's an impossible command to obey. And then God said that he will circumcise their heart. And he does that when he takes out the heart of stone and places a new heart and a new spirit within the one he has saved. A Jew who is circumcised outwardly, God says is not a Jew in the book of Romans. But it is the inward circumcision of the heart that makes one a spiritual Jew and the seed of Abraham, who, therefore, is the one that God is speaking to when he made these promises to Abraham. And and these are promises. We read in Hebrews chapter 6, as God is bringing up the things that he has said to Abraham, in, in Hebrews 6, and the book of Hebrews uh, has a lot to do, a good deal of discussion concerning the promises of God, the promises that he has made. And here, especially in Hebrews 6, beginning in verse 13, God is going to recall that that he had said these things to Abraham. For when God made promise to Abraham... Because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself, saying, Surely, blessing, I will bless thee, and multiplying, I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise, now who is he speaking to? To the seed. The seed are the heirs of promise. And if you're an heir, well, you, you're adopted into the family of God, and you, you have an inheritance. That's why you're, you're said to be an heir. So here again, to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. 
that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Now here we read uh, of this word immutability, and then it said to be two immutable things. And this isn't a word we hear too often in the world today. Um, and there's good reason for that. Immutable it means that which cannot change. It, it, it is an unchanging truth that God is speaking of. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the Bible tells us. He does not change. The Lord changes not. He is consistent. He he is the same God that spoke to Abraham as the God who spoke to Isaac and Jacob and who spoke to Joseph and and to Daniel and and to all the saints of the Old Testament. He's the same God uh, as the Lord Jesus Christ who entered into the human race and walked amongst men, and he's the same God today. And he'll be the same God tomorrow and into eternity future. That's why we, we have such faith and, and we have such trust in his word, the Bible, because it does not change. God is not like men. Uh, men are, are fickle and, uh, we're, we're very movable. And society is movable. Uh, that's why society uh, for um, a long period of time, hundreds of years, thousands of years, can hold on to a certain understanding, such as that marriage is between a man and a woman, and, and everyone agrees. Oh, yes, yes, of course, obviously. And then comes a time uh, where where there's um, uh, a new wave that's passing over the land, and and suddenly people start saying, "Oh, it's a good thing for two men to be married or two women to be married." Who who is anyone to say they shouldn't be? And you see, they've they've changed their their position. They've changed their understanding on the matter. And, and they expect now everyone else to change. Well, man can change because man's a, a sinner. And so he can go from that which was not sinful to that which is sinful in a heartbeat, to use that expression. And, and that's what man has done at this time with that particular idea of gay marriage. The society has changed because man is not like God. Man is not consistent, and and that leaves him open to being deceived and, and to changing his point of view. Man's lack of consistency also makes him very untrustworthy. Here we have that God is promising. It's God that is said to have promised to Abraham and to have sworn with an oath. And, of course, God didn't need to do that, but he did it for the 
the reader's sake, for man's sake that reads these things, that he's really condescending to us. Every word of God is as though he is swearing with an oath. It it has that degree of absolute trustworthiness within it. And, and so God made promise and he is not a man. You know, when, when God promises something, we have to differentiate between God's promise and man's promise. Because man promises many things and sometimes he, he fulfills it. Uh, and sometimes, oftentimes he does not. And and so we um, might tend to think, well, this is a promise, and and if we're used to men making false promises or failing to deliver on promises, perhaps it it, it um, impacts us when we hear the word promise or we we read about God's promises. You know, we we do have to stop and consider the character of the one making the promise. If a man, and this is what the Bible says about men, of course, uh, I'm sure many of you are familiar with this, and or, or these scriptures in Romans 3, it says in verse 4, But God forbid, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. And that that is... A true statement. Every man is a liar. According to the Bible, it says in Psalm 58, concerning all who are born into the human race after the fall of Adam and Eve, in verse 3, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. And, and God tells us, that man is born with this kind of heart. In Jeremiah 17 and verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. So man is born with a desperately wicked heart and deceitful, which means a lying heart, and as soon as he be born, he's speaking lies. Every man is a liar, the Bible says. Uh, even though, of course, that's in his nature. That's deep down in his heart. And on the surface, well, we have people, yes, who, who tell the truth about things uh, to a degree. And, and so we consider some um, more honest than others. But the nature of man is he is a liar. And and that's why uh, if we go to probably any, practically any college in um, the world today, except maybe a Christian school, that, but practically any other college, and you open up their books, their science books, they're going to speak about evolution, and they're going to relate things of uh, the world beginning billions of years ago and and all these far-fetched fairy tales that are right out of the minds of men. They're all lies. 
because that comes naturally to men, and people believe it because it, man prefers the lie over the truth due to his own nature of having a deceitful heart, and he's born speaking lies. It, it is the character of man, the character of the world is one of great deception, and and man himself is deceived. That is not the character of God. As we read in Numbers 23 and uh, verse 19, it says, God is not a man that he should lie. You see how there's a difference made. Man is, after all, created in the image of God, but the men we see today are in the fallen condition. Because they believe the lie of Satan, you will not surely die. God does know on the day you eat thereof, you will be as gods. And they believe that over God's truth. Don't eat of the fruit of that one tree. The day you do, you will die. And Adam and Eve did eat believing the lie, and Jesus picked up on that point concerning um, the tendency of mankind to uh, to believe the lie over the truth, when he said in John chapter 8, in verse 45, And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. And then in, in that same chapter, he spoke of them, I think it's that chapter of being of their father, the devil. It might have been earlier in John, but but he does say that to the listeners, that you're of your father, the devil. He was a liar from the beginning and the father of it. And, and that's why the seed of man, the seed of fallen mankind, has their spiritual father as the devil, and and they go after the lie. They're fully convinced in the lie, fully trusting the lie put forth by the world on on the point of abortion or evolution or gay marriage or the lie that the church puts forth concerning how to be saved. Be, uh, believe and accept Christ and you'll be saved. And eagerly masses flock towards the lie and accept the lie or the lie of religion, be a Muslim and, and you'll enter into heaven. Or the lie of the Hindu or the lie of the Buddhist or the lie of the atheist or the lie of the secularist. The, the lie gets preference and the lie is believed over the truth of the word of God. It's the nature, the character of man, but God is not a man that he should lie. He speaks the truth, and the truth is alien to the natural state of mankind and to the course of this world. And and that's why the truth stands out the way it does and why the Word of God, the Bible, stands out and why God speaks of it as a light in a dark place. It's the reason why that you can walk down the street literally in any kind of state or condition. 
you can paint yourself purple and walk down a street and you will not be considered as strange as uh, as the person who's walking down the street holding a Bible in his hand with a Bible track. That's the oddball. Not if you've painted yourself, your team's colors and and you're bare-chested on a wintry day uh, where it's below zero uh, because you're going to the park to scream yourself hoarse for a few hours. That's acceptable and fine, but but it's the one who holds to the truth and identifies with the truth of the Bible, the odd man out, is the one that is looked upon as strange because truth is strange to a lying world to a world that w- prefers and and loves Santa Claus rather than the birth of Christ or a world that desires a rabbit uh, an Easter bunny rather than the resurrection it 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 is the nature of mankind to want to spend hours listening to a fictional or watching a fictional movie or reading a fictional book. They they might read a book a thousand pages long and spend days reading it, immersed in it, and they don't have time. They don't have five minutes for the Bible. But it was a fictional book. It was a story that somebody just made up right out of their mind. Not a word of truth. And and yet they spend their time in the lie and they have no time for the true word of God because it's the nature of man. It's the way of this world. Well, God is not that way. God is a God of truth, of absolute truth. We read in John 14... In John 14 and verse 6, it says here of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus is the truth. And Jesus, remember, is the word that was in the beginning with God and was God, and the Word was made flesh. So he is the embodiment of the Bible. And he says that he is truth. In John fourteen seventeen, it says, I'll start in verse um, 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. Now you see how God has worded that that verse. He's speaking of the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. It does not see nor know him. Remember, Pilate said, what is truth? And he was speaking for the whole world. The world truly is blind 
to truth. And uh, that, that's why the child of God shakes his head in wonder, in, in really um, awful wonder. How can it be today, just use it, this is the um, present circumstances, and, and I'm sure that the believer who has the spirit of truth, who can read what Christ said, that in the beginning he made the male and female, uh, and the two shall be one flesh, uh, and where God very plainly and directly speaks of creating man and woman and joining them together in marriage, and that's how it is. That's the truth. That's how it should be, and there shouldn't be divorce. You know, that's just as wrong and as sinful as any other sin. And, of course, there should not be gay marriage. There should not even be gay um sex or uh, where one man is with another man or a woman with a woman. The, the Bible forbids that, just like the Bible forbids adultery between a man and a woman that are not married or, or fornication. These are all sinful things according to the truth of the Bible. It, it's actually very simple. But man in his deceitful heart in his failure to be able to grab a hold of truth. He can't see it or know it. And and this goes, of course, for the truth of the Word of God and also for the truth that that uh, God has commanded laws that are to be obeyed, and those laws are laws of truth. This is how mankind is to live in adherence to the law of God. But man can't grab a hold of that. He can't see that. And he's always trying to get around the law of God to make it something more um, suited to his own nature of being a deceitful individual. And and so he, he starts bending the law to begin with and and just putting his little toe over the line of, of uh, the law, transgressing it in a minor way, and and so forth. And, uh, well, did God really mean there should be divorce for adultery? And so he opens up the little crack just for this one thing. And then before you know it, there's divorce for everything. And, and you can get married today and divorce tomorrow. And you don't even need a reason today. And, and so divorce shatters the marriage relationship and in its shattered state, well then eventually comes along this other idea. Uh, of course, that had already uh, uh, been able to make uh, inroads uh, because of uh, the, the societies beginning to accept uh, homosexuality in the first place, but now you have a shattered marriage institution, you have a more acceptable um, homosexual position, and you put the two together, and we we go deeper into a deceitful area, and, and man's um, nature is very accepting of it. Sure, why not? I see no reason why not. Of course you see no reason why not. 
because you cannot see the truth. According to John 14:17, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, speaking of God's people, the elect who have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them, which is the spirit of truth. And that's one excellent reason why Christ says, My sheep hear my voice. Because who is Christ? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, is placed and indwells the one that has become saved. And now, When they hear truth because they have the Holy Spirit within them who recognizes, who sees or understands truth, they go, oh yeah, that's true. That's true. When it it comes to things like abortion or evolution or gay marriage, the child of God knows the truth. There's no question about it. We have the spirit of truth that permits us to understand the truth. Or when it comes to doctrine, as the church, and, and today the church is a church full of tares. God has separated the wheat from the tares. It's not, it, they're not dwelling together any longer, but the harvest has come. They were to dwell together until harvest, but in the time of harvest, The tares are bundled and cast into the fire, and we're living presently in the day of judgment, which is the time of harvest, the end of the world. And we know that uh, God has made this separation, and the believers have come out. And, And so we have a church full of tares, which means the Spirit of God is not there. And now... They're faced with understanding the Bible. And and remember what God says about understanding the Bible. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says in verse 11, For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God the spirit of truth. That's what knows the things of God, and the Bible is the thing of God. It's his word, and and so here God presents his word to the world. He presents his word to the church. The church has it in in their buildings, in their pews, and, and uh, on the podium. And Here is the things of God, the word of God, that only God says his spirit can know and discern and have understanding about. And and man, uh, again, what is the nature of man? He's a liar. And his heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. He can't know the things of God. Only the Holy Spirit can know them. But the Spirit departed out of the midst of the congregations at the beginning of the Great Tribulation, and the Holy Spirit was never within an unsaved individual. And and so now the church is left 
in darkness. They're left, as John 14 says, just like the world. They, they cannot know the spirit of truth nor see him. And so the church begins to try and interpret the holy book of God, the Bible, and they can't properly because they're in darkness and they lack the spirit of truth. And so they go after tongues or falling over backwards or holy laughter, or they introduce into the church um, marriage and divorce, or they introduce gay bishops, or they introduce all kinds of things, just like the world, because they are now exactly like the world, where the world cannot see nor know the spirit of truth. And, and, and so they act as the world in developing and putting forth lies to the congregation. Well, you see, this is the, the character of man. God is not like that. He is not a man that he should lie. God speaks the truth. Christ speaks the truth. The Holy Spirit speaks the truth. And we read in John 17, verse 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. God's word, the Bible, is truth. Again, Jesus is the word made flesh. He is the truth. The word is the truth. The the word of God is completely identified with God. We we can't try and separate the two. Uh, sometimes people speak of God in in some sort of way as as though you can't know him and and oh you can't put God in a box they say when when you're sharing with them things that the Bible says and and look this is what God says oh oh no you can't pin God down you can't put him in a box you you can't limit God to the Bible and they don't know what they're talking about God is the Bible and the Bible is God they're one and the same Christ is the word and the word is Christ. And so when we read the Bible, we're reading an extension of God. That's why when we hear the words of the Bible, we're hearing right from the mouth of God. This is him talking to us and the things he is telling us in his holy word are true and faithful. I really was struck by how God says this in Revelation chapter 21 as we've been going through our study in the book of Revelation. Now, I'm going to read the whole passage in Revelation 21. And and then God will conclude with with a very powerful statement. In Revelation 21 verse 1, it says, And I saw a new heaven... And a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people 
and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. These words are true and faithful. Now, why did God say that? And why did he say it precisely at that point? Because he understands, he realizes that what he has just said is incredible. It, it's absolutely incredible that he has said that the um, heaven and earth are passed away and uh, there's a new heaven and a new earth and that he will dwell with his people and he will be with them forevermore, that he will wipe away tears from all eyes. There will be no more death nor crying nor pain. How um, much more incredible could anything be? He just spoke the greatest words imaginable. There, There is nothing better than what God has just said. Nothing that anybody could ever try and think of. If you were to think, tell me, what is the greatest possible thing that you could ever think of? It could not exceed what God has just said in in these verses. First of all, destroying this world, and in so doing, destroying sin, and destroying death, and destroying corruption, and destroying everything that is bad or evil in, in one um, lethal blow at the word of God, it is all gone. It's all passed away. God has now, with that act, made everything right. Justice has been fully served. All of the evil deeds of mankind have been avenged by God. And, of course, that that's a tremendously great thing because God is good and His judgments are good. And the judgment of God is what declares that this must happen. But then God speaks of creating again. It's wonderful news. It's glorious news of creating a new heaven and new earth, a perfect creation, a perfect creation that will remain perfect throughout its entire existence, which is forever and ever. And it is the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham concerning all the land of Canaan, which will be, will be given to you, God said to Abraham, and your seed after you for an everlasting possession. And and God looked and waited upon that promise, and, and he didn't forget it. You know, God's the one that keeps bringing it up all through the Bible. And, uh, you know, if he was like a man who had said something and promised that uh, he really couldn't 
follow through on and fulfill, what, well, what does a man do? He, he downplays it. He doesn't mention it again. Oh boy, I opened my mouth there and I can't do that. And he, he tries to distance himself from it. Well, God has never done that with his promise to Abraham of giving him and his seed the land. He keeps bringing it up all through the Bible again and again, watching over the promise because it's his full intent and he has the ability also to fulfill the things he has said. And now he has uh, declared it in an incredible way in these verses in Revelation 21. This is what it actually will mean. You will live forever in a blissful state, in happiness. You know, we we don't really use that word much anymore. You don't, you don't hear the word happiness much anymore in the world because people aren't happy. And... And people don't even desire to obtain unto happiness really anymore. They desire to uh, obtain to pleasure, to seek after pleasure, uh, which involves uh, fulfilling their lustful desires. Yes, all kinds of people are actively involved with that. But you very rarely hear of, of seeking after happiness. Well, there is no real happiness in the, in this world that is satisfying or ultimate. But here God is laying out the ultimate fulfillment of happiness, of, of what it will be, uh, to enter into the new heaven and new earth. These promises can be described this way as, as God describes it in Second Peter chapter 1, in verse 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that accurately um, describes what we just read in those verses in Revelation 21. Uh, there, There is nothing greater. These are exceeding great promises. And and God, fully aware of that, fully aware that, that this is beyond uh, anyone's wildest dreams, he says, after stating all these things, right. These words are true and faithful. Now, again, he didn't have to say that. That's the character of God. He is, he is true. It's impossible for God to lie, according to Hebrews 6. Remember what, what Titus says, that uh, short epistle right before the book of Hebrews and, and Philemon. It says in Titus 1, in verse 2, In hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. See, that's that's the nature of God. He cannot lie. It's impossible 
for God to lie because a lie is sin. And, and I know it's hard to believe while we live in this world, uh, uh, lies are as common as grass. But that means sin is common as grass because to lie is sin. And God does not sin. He cannot lie. It's an impossible thing for God to lie. And he is truth. And the spirit of God is truth. And the word of God is truth. And therefore, everything God says is true and faithful. But despite that all being true, God stops in that wonderful, detailed look into the new heaven and new earth of of things that will occur, and he says, listen and understand. What you just read is true and faithful. You can trust it. You can lay your life down for it. And, and just keep your thoughts on things above. And keep looking forward with good expectation to the time when it will be fulfilled. It's not a question of if it will be fulfilled. It will be fulfilled. These things you can rely on. And, and you can uh, trust they will come to pass. And God even says it again in Revelation 22. And I'll start reading there, also from the first verse. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of his Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads, and there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign for ever and ever. And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Now there God reverses the word order. In uh, Revelation 21.5 it was these, uh, right, these words are true and faithful. And here it says these sayings, and that's also um, a translation of the Greek word that means words. These words are faithful and true. Faithful and true. They're steadfast, unmovable, and and they cannot be altered. Uh, the word of a Persian king could not be altered or changed. It 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 remained as it was decreed. Likewise, the word of God cannot be changed or altered. God's promises have been given to the seed, and you and I, if we're one of God's elect, are counted for the seed. 
So they've been given to us and they are being watched over by a faithful God who has not only a desire for truth, but is truth himself. And he realizes, completely realizes, he has said these things and that they must be fulfilled. Time can pass, yes, as time has. Time is permitted to go on. They they did not have to be fulfilled instantaneously. As we know, as God spoke to Abraham over 4,000 years ago, and here we are still living in the world. We have not yet received the promise as... Uh, was said to Abraham of receiving all the land of Canaan for an everlasting habitation. And, and that was pointing to the promise of a new earth. We have not yet received it. Let, let's go to Second Peter chapter 3, because God speaks of that idea uh, where some might consider he has been slack concerning his promise. In Second Peter 3, It says in verse 8, But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. You see, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth, the promise of the land for an everlasting possession. The promise to the seed of Abraham is the promise to us of a new heaven and a new earth and, and and this is why God stopped as he did in Revelation 21 5 after after declaring the the, um, the present heaven and earth have passed away and he creates a new heaven and new earth wherein there's no death nor tears nor crying nor pain and then he says these words are true and faithful because it's now the point of fulfillment of the promise. 
God had given to all of his people throughout all time, the promise has been completed. And and so here in Second Peter 3, God is declaring that that the children of God look for, and, and of course this is why we have such interest and anticipation and, and we're, uh, um, looking expectantly and excitedly towards a date like, like October 7th, 2015. We're looking for the fulfillment of the promise. We're looking for the new heaven and new earth and and, and so God um, places that in this account, but going back to verse 9, notice what he said there. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Uh, you know, uh, the, here's another word that you probably didn't know came from the Bible. Did you ever hear that expression, oh, he's a slacker? And you hear it sometimes of people who aren't working as they should, Oh, that guy, he, he's a slacker. He, he's not doing what he should be doing. And, and so it comes really from, uh, the way it's used in this verse. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. The word slack is translated one other place as tarry. The Lord is not tarrying according to his promise. It's a word that's related to slowness in um, the book of Acts. When Paul was on the ship, they sailed slowly uh, towards their destination. And, and that's a related word. God is not slow or tarrying concerning his promises. Some men count slowness or slackness. That, that is, or, you know, man... And, and his desire for instant gratification. Where are you, God? Uh, how come you haven't fulfilled what you said? Why haven't you, um, given us a new heaven and new earth? Or, or why haven't you done the things you have promised? And, and actually, God is saying, now hold it, hold it, take into consideration other factors including that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That is, God in his long-suffering plan of salvation or his long-suffering nature, he uh, permitted his plan of salvation to work out over the course of time until it was completed on May 21, 2011, then he shut the door of heaven and put into motion the day of judgment, the final day. And if we're correct, the final day of judgment will be completed after 1,600 days. The 10,000th day of judgment will complete the the overall judgment against uh, mankind for his sin and God will destroy the world and then create a new heaven and new earth according to his promise. And we look, again, we look for the fulfillment of God's promise. 
Uh, and so we look with hope. Uh, let, let me just go to one last verse in Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 35. Cast not away therefore your confidence, which has great recompense of reward, for ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.